Welcome to another episode of Can You Teach Me That? My name is Martin Clausen. And I'm Neil Drow. And today we have the uh, pleasure of having Josie Herbert with us. And Josie has 20 years experience working as a PR professional, working independently, but yeah. also with B2B in technology and PR services. And I know you have a vast catalog of successful clients that you've worked with. And for the last 12 years, you've been functioning as the director of Finesse PR Limited. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, Finesse PR, yes. Yeah, and Josie specialized in providing PR services for many aspects of the IT sector, such as the information security clients to the artificial intelligence sector, uh, and many more. Um, how are you, Josie? And was there anything I missed there? Sorry? Was there anything I missed there? There's nothing you've missed, no. Um, the only thing I would say is that I... Uh, I have been in PR for 20 years. I've been working independently for 12 of those 20 years. So I yeah. was employed in two different agencies for the first eight years. Okay, thank you. So that, that's quite a, an important point for anyone thinking of getting into PR. Don't just launch in and do it on your own. It is, it is worthwhile working for agencies and learning the ropes. Yeah, great, great advice from the get-go. I love that. Um, so before we kind of dive into it, we kind of like having like a, a personal question um, to just get a little bit a better understanding of your your personality and why you might say the, or respond in certain ways. So yeah. if the house right now is starting a blaze and there's a fire all over, what would be the one thing you would need to bring out with you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, my bicycle would be in the shed. That would be my main, <laughs> that's my main um, belonging. Um, what would I get out? I don't know. Um, I guess my smartphone because it's got a lot of my photos on. Yeah, that I, that is and the new contacts. So, yeah. All right. Bicycle and smartphone. <laughs> They're the priority. Good to go then. Yeah, that is a multi-tool anyways nowadays. So I like that answer. That's getting a lot of things out of it. You actually, if you bring the smartphone. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, before we kind of just dive into this here, I also want to just, I actually like trying to figure out, like even I know I can be confused about like, what is a PR consultant? Like what, if you were to just in layman's terms explain to the audience here, what is it actually that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, a PR consultant can be doing a lot of things. Um, it goes from everything from um, trying to knock down the doors to get a startup some attention and to raise their profile and awareness, uh, all the way through to if you're working for a big corporate, well-known blue chip brand that's a household name already, to management of the message and management of the reputation. I've always tended to be at the startup end where I'm knocking down the doors and trying to introduce startups and entrepreneurs to the media, to the analysts, and to try and build an audience for them of people who don't know about them but have the problems that they were designed to solve so that's the end of public relations that i work in yeah then you get the publicists who are looking after say personalities or big brands and that's all about sort of managing that reputation and that impression that public impression that people have cool. okay um is it something you've always been interested in pr because obviously it's quite a long career in it um yeah. When, when did you first get that sort of bug and desire to be in this career? Right, okay, so I mean, my actual, um, my background is actually as a designer technology teacher. Um, I'll give you some background later about how I got into that, but my mother was a teacher 
and I started my career as a teacher of woodwork, electronics, metalwork, plastic work, uh, graphics and art. Okay. And after about four, well, three years, after three years, I suddenly realized that that three years had gone like that. And I knew that when I hit eight years, I would hit a ceiling where I would have to take a, a role as a head of department in order to have any incremental pay. And also you tend to get a little bit stuck in a school um, because if you hit the eight years mark, they were more likely to take an NQT and you need a qualified teacher on um, and for a lower salary or, you know, someone with one or two years experience. So I didn't want to get stuck because the whole culture of a school can change if the head teacher changes. And I've seen that happen to colleagues. Um, so I thought, mm, I can't really see myself still doing this when I'm 30, 35, 40, 50, 60. So I started thinking about um, what else I could do, what I would like to do. And I've still got some very, very close friends from university, 31 years on. Um, so I consulted one of my friends in university and I said, I want to do something else, but I don't know what. And so she said, well, you're going to spend the majority of your time with colleagues. So maybe surround yourself with the people who are like you. So think about all of our, you know, I'm still friends with like 12 people from university today. We regularly see each other and catch up and, you know, on Facebook, social media and in person. And so I said, okay, so Miri was working in uh, for ITV and another friend was working for Marie Claire magazine and someone else was working as in a production company. And she said, maybe media. And I thought, oh, I hadn't really thought about it. And she also said, as a teacher, do you get paid during the six weeks holiday? And I said, yes. And she said, then go and be an intern and just try somewhere out. So I thought, oh, good idea. So I wrote off to various sort of publishers and Addison Wesley Longman gave me the opportunity to work with them during my six weeks holiday. And my head teacher said, you're mad, you're going to be burnt out, you need your break. But actually a change was as good as rest. It was absolutely brilliant. I was really energized. It gave me the opportunity to interview people who I was sat working alongside. And they said, basically, you have no editorial control. <laughs> um, you know, the salary's not that great. Uh, the hours are good, but you know, and so it didn't provide me the editorial control that I was looking for because as a teacher, I was developing my own lesson plans. I was delivering those lessons. I was looking at uh, what the curriculum had to, had to include. Um, and I was trying to get people through their GCSEs and get them the highest marks and almost try and predict what the exam would hold based on previous exam papers, etc. You know, So I had full editorial control. So I thought, right, okay, um, after Addison Wesley Longman, I, I sent my CV out again and I had that publisher on the CV and all of a sudden I got a job uh, as an editorial assistant with the magazine. From there I went on to a software publisher and they took me on as their advertising manager, but in fact I was doing event management, I was writing press releases, I was talking to journalists, I was demonstrating the software, I was taking customer support calls, I was doing everything. It was a very, very small software publisher that was uh, translating and localizing German software for the consumer market. So I then went and did the CIM diploma in my own time and on my own expense or at my own expense um, and realized that part of the overarching marketing umbrella, the part I really loved was talking to journalists, writing press releases and, you know, 
doing the product reviews. So I realized that was PR. <laughs> and I then thought, okay, my next step is to work for a PR company and find out how to do PR. So I got a job in a business to business technology PR firm down in Farnham. That was the White Oaks Consultancy. And that was absolutely brilliant because they really invested in the training of their executives in house. Uh, they would bring speakers in, they would bring journalists in, uh, they would bring analysts in, and they really focus on training us and developing us. It's quite hierarchical. Um, and then when I've been with them for around about four years, one of my colleagues said to me, I've been on a press tour, okay, how many journalists did you meet? And I said, 11. She said, okay, um, who booked the journalists? And I said, I did. She says, who set up the meetings? And I said, I did. And she said, you had breakfast with the CEO? And I said, I did. And she said, who wrote the briefing document? I said, I did. And I said, well, where are we going with it? And she said, well, really, you don't need all of this. All you need is that black book, your mobile phone, and a laptop. Back then, we had black books. <laughs> and uh, smartphones hadn't been invented. So it, that planted a seed. But I thought, well, actually, because it was quite hierarchical, I hadn't been writing for a while, because I'd written when I was in the... Uh, software company, but I hadn't written because I, they put me in as a media seller. So I was picking up the phone, talking to journalists, talking to clients and talking to analysts. So my next job was to find an agency where they would allow me to write as well. And that became, uh, that was the Eclaps uh, consultancy, Eclap Marketing. Uh, and they specialise in cybersecurity clients and mobile technology clients, um, bringing in a lot of startups and uh, entrepreneurs and launching them into the European market. So they allowed me to write. Uh, in the interview with the director there, Diane Cannon, uh, the founder, I said, she said, what's your five-year plan? And I said, to go freelance. And she said, mm, I don't know about that. She says, we want some continuity for our clients. And I said, she says, when are you thinking of going freelance? And I said, in five years. <laughs> so, you know, she took me on and it was fantastic. I really enjoyed working with them. It was very hard work, but really, really good learning. Um, really good experience and gave me a solid foundation for surviving as a, an independent. Um, so that's basically what brought me on to Finesse PR because um, what we were doing with these entrepreneurs was trying to take their companies through from foundation through to acquisition. Generally, they'd be acquired by a, a much larger American firm generally that was looking for that missing piece in their technology piece. Mm. Um, so at one point, we had, I think, three clients acquired in the same quarter, um, which left me with two in the team. And my MD said, right, OK, I'm going to divide you between this team and that team. And I thought, this is going to be quite difficult. And I said, Do you know what? I said, rather than that, it will have less impact on your agency if I leave at this point and become a freelance, because then you just put one client in that team and one client in that team, and I'll go and build up my business. And he said, hmm, rather than that, why don't you become my freelancer and you look after these clients through to their acquisition? So that's what we did. So we worked together very happily. I built up my own client base um, and I worked as a freelancer for a client marketing, looked after two of their clients. Both of them were acquired around about two, year, two and a half years later and I carried on as for SPR. So that's basically snapshot of my 20 years in PR. Impressive. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of questions there. So 
you said early on in this story here that you kind of just kind of landed the first job that, that you got into. Would there have been like, when you say that, how, how was it tough competition? Was the timing that you kind of got into the industry to begin with? Like one thing is to change your career from, from one thing and, and like teaching and going into something very different almost like what were some of the, did you get lucky or did you prepare at, on, on your own time before you actually ventured into the, the industry? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I basically uh, spent a lot of time writing to publishers, researching publishers, and obviously invested my six weeks holiday um, working, you know, as an intern. They gave me a meal ticket. Yeah. Um, and basically, other than that, I didn't get any payment because I was being paid as a teacher anyway, so I could afford to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just based myself up nearby. I actually stayed in the youth hostel from Monday to Thursday evening, then to travel home at the weekend. Um, so that I wasn't sort of having to commute backwards and forwards to London. Um, so yeah, I, I just basically invested that time, uh, the, the six weeks of my holiday to work alongside these people, to actually work for them. I was doing some market research for them. I was uh, testing their interactive American English dictionary, which was on a CD-ROM, which back then yeah. was breaking technology. <laughs> I was cutting edge back then. Um, so it, yeah, so in that sense, I invested that time, and I'd also invested my own time and um, expense in in getting the CIM diploma. And as far as like the industry that you're now in, is that something you also kind of have an affinity yourself uh, as far as an interest in before? Has the interest kind of grown within the industry over time as you've been a part of it? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always had an interest. That what led me into the teaching uh, was that. I'd, I had had a place um, on an English degree, I, I had a conditional place based on my A-level results um, at Sheffield University to read English. And then I was sort of on the, on the way to work, uh, one of my student jobs, and I suddenly had a bit of an epiphany and thought, I don't want to study English for the next three years. Um, so I went home and told my mother this and she said, well, I think you need to leave home. You're ready to leave home. I think you need to go to university or get a job or do something. But she says, you know, have a think. And my sister came down and she said to me, well, fill out the clearing form and see, you know, put down what you want to do in life. So I put down, uh, I like art. I like learning how things are made. I like people. Quite vague. <laughs> you know so they saw an opportunity to um there was a government mandate at the time at the end of the 1980s uh way before your time um to try and get more women into teaching technology and so they saw an opportunity to uh meet my creative um interests and, mm. and my curiosity about how things are made um yeah, and it, I think that was a good course to do. I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I taught in four different London schools during the course of my four years um, at university, uh, as well as trying to sort of play catch up with all the boys who've been learning it since they were 11. I <laughs> so went you know, at the age of 19 trying to learn the subject as well. Um, so, I, yes, I, I've got an interest in practical things, I would say, and I, I'm far more suited to business-to-business uh, and technology PR than it would be to business to consumer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what I find really interesting is the fact that you didn't need to know really what you wanted to do to start with, and you could just change from one thing to another thing 
as you went along and I think a lot of people don't realize that yeah it's, it's based on your your personal interests and qualities because yeah. that's what will lead you through yeah because I know when I was at school it was sort of well you've got to decide what your career for your entire life's going to be mm-hmm. well, I'm yeah. a kid still yeah. I, I don't exactly. know um, exactly. and when I was at university I think the majority of people that I spoke to didn't really know what they wanted to do either absolutely Absolutely. And my own mother, you know, she'd um, done a French degree and she went in there and said to the careers lady, at the end of her three years, I have no idea what I want to do. She said, I walked in with my degree under my arm and they said, maybe teaching, you know, and then she was a teacher for the rest of her life. But, you know, there was no other guidance other than that, you know. Um, I think that's really important that we, we shouldn't be pushing people into yeah figuring themselves out that young because you just can't do it because you've got like you enjoyed your job you're saying as a teacher but it was the progression that was the main issue and worrying about getting stuck there and i absolutely know that oh yeah (laughs) and i'm sure that's a lot worse now than it was then as well yeah um but like you you enjoyed it but it wasn't perfect for you so you could look for something different it's not yeah yeah and i think that that's the best careers advice i've ever had in my life was from my friend Ross when she said you know look at the people you surround yourself with already look at the people who you're friends with what do they do you know what are they like what are you like so in actually sort of finding finding a job which suits your personality because you do spend a heck of a lot of your life at work Mm. Yeah, definitely. it will feel less like work if you do the things that you're suited to anyway, and that's based on your qualities and your interests and your aptitudes. Yeah, I love that. Like the, it takes courage, right? One thing is to like acknowledge that and say yeah. it. Another thing is to actually take that that step out there and change again. As I said earlier, to change an industry also can be very daunting for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So, so I love hearing that. So, with what you do now, what do you find the most love in? Because there's so many aspects to the job. What's, what's the thing that, that really gets you excited about it? I think talking to entrepreneurs because they're so fired up. You know, they've seen a problem, they've seen a gap in the market and they're going for it. You know, and they're, they're investing, they're all in it. And I love that. That's very energizing. You know, they're so enthusiastic, um, highly, highly intelligent generally, you know. And so another thing, I, mean, I remember being... Um, on my course, and there was a boy on my course, he said to me at the end of our fourth year, this is really sad. And I said, why? And he said, because we're never going to be surrounded by people this vibrant and intelligent again. And I completely disagree with that. Because, you know, the people that I encounter within PR, you know, the journalists, the analysts, the entrepreneurs, the clients, you have a constant source of new knowledge and information. And what I love about the job is it forces me to open my mind to new knowledge all the time, because I think I'm naturally could be quite lazy. Um, But because, you know, because I'm, I'm having to get my head around new knowledge all the time, it opens me up to things that I probably wouldn't bother reading about. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting as well. So are you, um, as far as like, lead generation that's something that we're also very uh, interested in here what how do you go about it at this case at this stage of course you build up a vast catalog as you, we also said before but 
how do you go about finding new clients nowadays? Will it be people referring you or is there, it, does it change? It's a, it's a mixture. I mean, um, so I proactively go networking. Um, that's how I know Neil, <laughs> through his father, through networking. Um, so I make an effort to, to invest, you know, probably about three to four days a month um, on new business generation and networking. Um, I take every opportunity I can to, you know, go to um, industry events and conferences to talk mm -hmm. to my colleagues. Um, and generally, my business comes through word of mouth or people I've met personally. Nice. And so I'm also curious about when you then did go freelance and you started your own business, what was kind of the, what did you, how did you gauge now it's time? Like you, were you moving towards a set number or, or how did you proceed into that? Well, it was really that the, the stars sort of lined up. Um, basically, it was the fact that three of my clients were acquired. The fact that I was, you know, had the prospect of being stretched across two teams in an agency, it would have been extremely difficult because you know, they were operating as two sort of almost separate operations. Um, I would have been pulled into various meetings that conflicted, that it would have been just very hard to juggle. And so I actually thought that was a good time for me to, to take that step um, and to go out and, and set up my business. And also, uh, I've been on a press tour about uh, three days before um, those clients were acquired and, and I've talked to my managing director. And... As I stepped onto the train, my phone rang, my mobile phone. One of my former colleagues who'd gone freelance the year before said, hey, Joe, so I'm like three carriages behind you. I saw you get on, come and chat to me. So I walked three carriages back. We sat and chatted and she said, when are you going to go freelance? I am so busy. I need your help. And she said, don't worry about that the work won't come because the work will come. You've got the experience. You've got the contacts. You've got the reputation. And she was right. So I, you know, I took that leap of faith. And then I am, um, it's something I still do to this day. If I see a, an editorial request that fits somebody that I know, um, they may not be a client, but if they're absolutely, absolutely dead right for that, that journalist feature, then I'll, I'll connect them. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that with a friend of mine because she worked for a water cooler company. Um, and I said, look, uh, there's this guy asking about water coolers in offices, you know. Uh, and she said, oh, funnily enough, my MD was talking about PR. Do you want to come and have a chat? So that became my first independent client. And they were then acquired by Virgin. Um, you know, so yeah. it's, it just, it's conversations. It's conversations. It's talking to people. It's helping people, putting people together, making those connections. That, that's what brings business. Awesome. Um, so I had a question I just lost and you can you help me out I actually had a good question but I just blanked now I was listening to what you were saying okay I, I think we've heard a lot about kind of how you got started and things um, I think what would be quite nice actually just to break it up is to hear a bit about what you love doing outside of the PR <laughs> side of things yeah okay um, right um, I used to be a rock climber okay um, yeah and that was just a passion I'd had since I was about six years old. Um, I, I went down to, with my father, he was collecting my brother from scouts, and he was climbing. So I thought that looked just excellent. So I, I asked the scout master, could I join scouts? And he said, no, little girls don't join scouts. <laughs> so but I still had this burning ambition to go rock climbing. Um, so when I went to university, they had the rock climbing wall on the back of uh, the building uh, of the CDT department. And so I started rock climbing there. 
became part of the uh, climbing club at uni. Uh, when I went for my first teaching job, it turned out that the CDT technician, again, the stars are lining up, <laughs> um, got chatting to him during my interview and I said, if I got the job, are there any outdoor pursuits at clubs around here? I said, you know, I want to climb um, or canoeing or anything like that, you know. And it, he laughed and said, well, there aren't many mountains here. It's Alton in Hampshire. And uh, he said, however, he said, I'm part of Alton Mountaineering Club. So I became part of that. Um, and then, oh, God, probably about 15 years ago, and I fell off a rock climb and broke my ankle. Um, <laughs> And as physio for it, my husband started taking me riding off, off road because, you know, I was a bit too wobbly when the cast came off to go back on the road. Uh, I'd always been a cyclist since I was about four or five years old. Um, my husband said, you're not really safe on the road, so I'll take you into the local woods. So we went to the local woods and that became a brand new passion. I absolutely love mountain biking. Uh, we've done it in Europe. We've done it Scotland, Wales, England. Absolutely love it. So that's what keeps me going. And something I noticed when I was a teacher, which is now true of mountain biking, is that I constantly was thinking about the next lesson plan, um, the next exams, the marking. It just was constant, constant, constant. And it was quite hard to take a, a mental break. And then one day I was doing a rock climb that took me about 20 minutes and I got to the top of the climb and looked out at the view and felt completely rested as I'd had a whole weekend off. And suddenly realised that my brain had switched off from teaching and I was actually just focused on the rock and the holds mm -hmm. and the placement of the gear. And I thought, wow, I need to keep doing this. This is good for my brain. You know, um, a change is as good as a rest. It's absolutely true. Um, and I find that with mountain biking, you know, if I've got a problem I'm trying to work on, an idea I'm trying to come Ooh. up with, if I go riding, I'll come back and it'll just pop up. <laughs> The answer, you know, the answer was formulated while I was riding. I, I can relate to that. I just started running recently and that's definitely been uh, given a lot of ideas and thus this podcast as, as many other things. So yeah, I love hearing that as well. And I just got the question back now. Uh, my friend actually asked me earlier when we said that I would be talking to you. He said, what is the difference between like these paid advertising and PR? And now I will just pass that question on to you. That That's was actually... very, good. very good question, yeah. So there's what's called the PAYSO model, the paid, earned, social, and owned. Um, so PR is usually involved with um, earned media, which mm. means that uh, we will pick up the phone with an idea or you know draft a pitch. I spend most of my time pitching, whether on the phone or through email um, and, or social media. Um, and we, we'll come up with an idea for a feature, um, for a story, uh, or we'll try and you know, offer some comment or contribution or addition to a story that's already been written or a new story that's breaking. So that's earned um, because you're providing, you know, adding value to the conversation. Um, you're offering an expert. Um, so for example, you know, Thomas Cook, sadly has just um, gone bust. So journalists have been asking for experts in the travel industry to talk about that. So, I mean, I don't have anyone in, in that space, um, but that's an example of where you would add value by providing the expert that can actually provide some context to that story. This is earned media. Paid media, obviously, is your advertorial and your advertising. Um, there is a little bit of a crossover now that we're seeing um, because with um, publications going digital, 
the editorial staff is really cut and cut and cut because they're not getting the advertising revenue because a lot of the advertising revenue is going to pay per click, going to Facebook, going to Google, uh, YouTube. Um, and so because of that, there are fewer and fewer people actually manning the desk uh, mm. in the And because of that, um, they're having to find other revenue streams. When I first went into PR in 1999, it was shortly before the telecoms crash. And I noticed then that a lot of new award schemes were set up around about that time. And again, that was a way of uh, publications finding a new revenue stream to replace the advertising, which had been lost from the telecoms companies that had gone, gone bust. Um, so paid, earned, social, and owned. Uh, social is obviously social media, and then owned. You're getting a lot of the big brands like IBM, for example, has just had uh, one of the writers from Wired uh, to be an in-house editorial. So you're getting a lot of these bigger brands now that are producing their own magazines, their own publications, there's some real top quality writers that used to be sort of national level, broadcast level. Okay. So is it more of a scene, this, uh, like, would you view this as an opportunity now to then carve it out further and, and kind of make PR stand more on its own as, as far as that, that evolution is going towards paid or, or how do you then view it? Like you have a new strategy that you have to adapt and come up with or? I think you've just got to be adaptable. You've got to think, um, I mean, at the moment as an independent, um, people come to me to provide the, the earned media um, element. Um, because I'm independent and because I'm sort of not on the, on the clock, if you like, yeah, yeah. and I have that personal interest, I'll tend to sort of really get deep dive and really get under the skin of the business and, and really sort of research those case studies and really find out how how that business works, how their technology works, and how that is applicable in business and what are the benefits that it's bringing to business. Um, so I'm still adding value that way. Um, I haven't been provided with a budget from, by clients, but I know some agencies have been provided with a budget to um, allow them to, to blend that paid and earned. Okay. So um, with, with those ones where they're blending the paid and earned, is it had much of an effect because I know about a year ago or something they started having to put disclaimers that they were advertising products if they'd been paid to promote it I think a lot of the influencers and things yeah, yeah the influencers yeah I mean that, that's that's the thing that's ongoing at the moment I, I think it's going to start to shake out because consumers are not stupid you know that they, they don't want to be manipulated uh, they want to know that if someone's endorsing they're endorsing because they actually think the product's great you know, uh, and they've reviewed it and it does work, not because they've been paid. Which is strange though, isn't it? Because most of TV adverts are celebrities that are paid and you think they're going, well, do they use it? Do they not use it? No idea. I think, I think we're, as consumers, we're, we're aware that when you see an advert, it's yeah. an advert. Um, when you have things like the native advertising where you've got um, advertorial, which appears as though it's like editorial, there's a little bit of a fine line there. And I mean, you do see, you'll see it on websites that will have like a, a, an interesting, what looks like an interesting article, but it will say above it's sponsored. So people are aware that, you know, that that is actually um, being funded by a, a, a company yeah. that has an agenda. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's important to actually be upfront about it and, and make people aware that, that it is paid rather than earned. Do you have like common mistakes that you see people making that you would call out now to just kind of see if you, you could minimize that as we go on? 
if somebody's yeah trying to work on their own, they might not have the, the service of being able to hire somebody like you. What could be some some low hanging fruits to uh, to start today? Some mistakes. Um, I don't really. I think I think generally people who you know the independents that I I know yep. are generally you know highly experienced, um, very well qualified to be doing the job. Yeah. Um, everyone's got a different approach, a, a different take. Um, one thing I have noticed, it's perhaps not answering your question, Mike, but okay. one thing I did notice in my networking is that um, PRs who were working within agencies who were going up the ladder were more interested in the brands you were working with, mm. whereas independents, I could always understand, I, I would always know who was an independent if I went to a, a PR and journalist sort of networking evening because they were interested in people. So independents tend to be interested in people because people buy people. Uh, whereas, you know, the people with an agency rest on that, that brand. And I do remember like, actually it was a star cause I, I went to a London networking uh, evening and I sort of went to sort of break a little cluster of people together and say, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm an independent and introduce myself. And one girl turned around and said, which brands do you work with? And I didn't because it, you know, I said, well, well, I work with entrepreneurs and startups and she just turned around and <laughs> carried on talking. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so I carried on sort of breaking into various other different clusters. And then I found a group of people who were just chatting away and sort of asked about me as the person. And they turned out to be all independents. So that, that's, that's yeah. a fact I've noticed. So that and that's you touched on something very interesting to me now. So as far as like doing something as confident as breaking up in group and institution sales, was that something that you became more and more adept to, or was that something you always just had a, a unique ability to be able to do? As far no, as no, it's difficult. It's difficult. You have to steal yourself to do it. Yeah, because you know you're facing rejection, aren't you? And I got rejected on that occasion. I didn't have the brands. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but you know. That's what though it's a rock face, is it? So you can put things in perspective. So <laughs> it, it does sound like you probably had a lucky break of being rejected on that one. Probably, well, I learned from it. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. You know, <laughs> not the kind of person you'd want to talk to anyway. No, well, not my type of person. No, yeah. if you're a brand, probably. Yeah, you probably <laughs> would want to talk to them, but yeah, not my sort of person. So Joseph, let me ask you a bit different then. If you were to go back now and talk to yourself before you ventured on this journey here, what kind of advice would you give somebody starting out now to maybe avoid some of the bumps and bruises that you took along the way? I sometimes say to my nephews and nieces, uh, you've, got to, you've got to do a job you hate to find one you love. Because that gives you the parameters. It's painful, but when you're young enough and energetic enough, um, it, it's very painful, but it gives you that benchmark of what you absolutely hate about a job so that when you get to the job that's right for you you even on a bad day you know that that's that's right for you you're in the right place i like that so would you say on that that people should actually just keep looking until they find a place where they're actually happy and they're enjoying it um and just keep switching and well i mean not, not jumping uh, but yeah always keep looking for better until you find where you're happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be a continual journey. I mean, there's, there's aspects of my job now that, you know, yes, I'd like to change. So, you know, you, you continue with those conversations and you keep your ears open and your eyes open to find better ways of doing things, you know. Um, 
pain has a purpose you know it, it helps you to understand what's wrong so you can change so yeah just just be aware of, of what doesn't feel right and try, try and make changes is what i would say i'm not saying change your job every six months or whatever no. but you know give it a bit of time so you actually understand what i mean i was a teacher for four years yeah you know? um the aspects of it i loved i loved being in there with the kids absolutely loathed the admin that was never going to get any better in first in fact it would get worse and i couldn't see myself sort of going up through the management ranks so it's just not me i know that <laughs> you know Staying persistent with it. That's uh, that's definitely a key element we've taken away from a few of the chats with different people so far. It's like you gotta persevere. You gotta walk through the the tough times, and then the, the the light will come eventually. So that's good to hear that 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 message seems to just yeah show up yeah. again and again. Talking to people. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there a question that you never get asked that you would love to answer? What's your fifty-year plan? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm 50 now, so no one's ever said, what's your 50-year plan? What's <laughs> asked me at the age of 30, what's your five-year plan? What's your yeah. five-year plan? What's your 50 year? That would change your perspective and change your choices if you thought, oh, I've got another 50 years. Because my dad told me the other day that quite a few members of his family have lived to over 100. So I thought, well, okay, if that's, yeah. that's the case, I need to look after myself a bit better because... <laughs> I may need to sort of make these these bits still still be running in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, Keep okay. So, yeah. So, but what is the goal actually then for you now? Is it sustainability of your business? Is it to grow to something even bigger worldwide? Like, what what kind of goal setting do you have for for you in the in in the private life or personal? I think, yeah, in my business life. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, really it's it's to just stay true to what I'm doing you know try not to take on business which isn't right for me which I've done in the past um if it doesn't feel right do listen to your guts this is you know the same girl who called me back on the carriage you know who's on the train she always says listen to your gut and we often say that to each other you know you, you'll sometimes get a prospect comes to talk to you it doesn't feel quite right you go with it anyway and every time you think I should have listened to my gut it wasn't right yeah okay right for me i wasn't right for them it's not them it's you know it's a two-way process so, so in terms of my business i mean you know um when i first started out i thought yeah maybe maybe i'll take people on um you know grow the business but actually it's it's worked really well to work on my own uh when i look back at being a teacher i was working on my own I was in there with the kids on my own. I was responsible for, for them. I was responsible for their success, responsible for what they learned. Um, that's stayed the same, really. So I think, yeah, I just carry on. Carry, as long as I'm adding value, I'll carry on. So this one is also a little bit more fun. So I want to ask you, uh, what is it about the blur frame? But the BMX is that's better than uh, than the rest of them, and do you still have an affinity for those? The blur, well, as in the Santa Cruz Blur LT. So it's actually more the the BMX frames. Oh, the BMX frames. I don't. I don't. I haven't done BMX. Oh, but so, a, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I've got a I've got a fear of like being riding that close to people. I like sort of <laughs> riding that on my own because um, I've done a. 
four must start races in my life. Uh, they've usually ended in carnage. Just <laughs> 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 cross in front of you. So um, yeah, uh, BMX I, I, I admire. I, I know a few BMXs, but I really admire them because uh, I prefer when the beeps go just to be on my own on the, on the clock. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I took a deep dive on your uh, on your Facebook, so that's where I saw that there was something about the blur. So I saw some pictures of you traveling with uh, the bikes. So I might not have been uh, too attentive there to see that it actually wasn't proper BMXs, but I did stick that one yeah, stuck out to bike. mountain yeah. bikes. Yeah. Good research. Well done. You're hired for PR now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Very interesting. I mean, with the beer, the mountain biking, do you actually prefer more sort of wooded terrain like you started with, or do you prefer the mount the hills and? Oh, both really. I mean, I, I love views. I love good views. Um, uh, so yeah, being on top of a mountain, I just absolutely love. I've lo I mean, my dad used to take us like out to the Lake District uh, camping when we were little and I've just loved being on top of hills ever since I was quite small. Um, uh, I loved rock climbing because you get to the top and look out at the views so yeah I love that aspect but no I mean I love being in the forest as well because you just it's like a video game in a way because mm -hmm. you're sort of navigating the routes and the drops and it's yeah. constant sort of decision making and uh, you know do I go this way that way bend it that way, drop it, lift it, you know. So yeah, I love it. It's very absorbing. I feel silly now say calling it a BMX. Of course I know it's a mountain bike and looking at it, it's like, oh, that was a slip of the tongue there. But yeah, I, we can, I can see with the, the views that that's definitely, uh, it seems scenic. I'm afraid my dad took a, a bad crash on a, on a mountain bike years ago and that just deterred me from it. Yeah, yeah. Be careful but, yeah. with it. it. Well, it's each to their own, isn't it? But I, I mean, this, I wouldn't do downhill skiing, you know. <laughs> I know that much, so. <laughs> and I do that, so yeah, there we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't control my legs, so. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. Josie, uh, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out. Is there anything that you kind of, I know I said before, it's a question you never get asked, but is there something that we didn't get a chance to talk about now that you want to give off advice or anything here at the, at the tail end? Um, I, I mean, really, it would just be, um, just keep talking to people, you know, for anyone sort of starting out in the career. I was talking to my niece the other day and she said someone at her university got himself a nice job in a bank uh, because he basically sat next to a guy on a plane and had a great conversation, you know, it was a long haul flight. They had drinks together and the other guy said, hey, come and talk to me in two weeks and he's got himself a nice job. So, and so talk to people. And with that in mind, do you, is there any sort of like books that you read yourself or things that on the side as far as like communication and these things, or, or is it very much just for you, like engage with people, have conversations with them, be engage. genuinely interested? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the moment I'm reading Freakonomics, but only because I talked to an independent financial advisor at uh, the Enterprise Connections Network, you know, and he said he listened to the podcast and then they happened to see the book and started reading it. That's quite interesting at the moment. Okay. Well, um, again so let's finish here and say thank you very much for taking the time out and i want to make sure that people know that they can contact you uh, on your website which was finesse pr and then it's a dot co dot uk correct that's right yes yeah and and where else can people get a hold of you uh twitter at finescence i'll hang on have i got a there you go twitter at finescence can you see that 
a bit closer and then we'll grab it. If not, we'll put it in the in the comments and everything. Yeah. If we write okay. afterwards. But yeah, you got your Twitter uh, and then the phone number there. We got emails. Yeah, we'll put it all in. There you go. All right. Happy to answer questions. Awesome. Joseph, yeah. thank you so much. Really enjoyed really good it. Speak to you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Neil. Thank all you right. for coming on. Yes. Thanks, guys. All right. It's been Bye. a pleasure.